Matthew chapter 2, and uh, we're going to do we're going to do a few Christmas messages here leading up uh, to the birth of Christ and, and our celebration of it. And uh, so this evening I'm going to start uh, a little series. We're going to go through the Gospels a little bit over the next few weeks. And uh, this will be the first, and we're going to be in Matthew tonight for the most part. We'll kind of look around a little bit in some other places. But uh, Matthew chapter number 2, and he says this in verse number 1. And uh, now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the princes of Judah. For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when ye have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. When they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy, and when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. And when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeareth unto Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, and take the young child and his mother, and flee into Egypt, and be thou there until I bring thee word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. Uh, familiar passage, I am sure, if you've been in church any time around Christmas time, you've gotten right Matthew 2, Matthew 1, Luke 2, all the Isaiah chapter 9, right? We've got all the passages, right? We've heard all these, and so uh, I don't rightly know that I'm going to do anything new tonight. Um, I was talking with Brother Chad and uh, preaching over in Chilai on Thursday, and we were, we were out afterwards, and we were talking, we were planning some things with the Youth Ablaze, and we were talking about you know, messages, and he goes, he asked me, you know, he's, it's, it's my first year as the, as the senior pastor here, it's, you know, pretty much his first year as the, as fully as the pastor over there, and he says, uh, he says this, isn't it weird when you get up to Christmas, everybody's heard everything about Christmas, right, I mean, what do you, what, what new fun thing are you going to do out of the Bible on Christmas, right, and so, I mean, some of you have been in the church since its conception, you know, 43 years ago. Like, what am I going to give you, right? You know, something crazy and new and off the wall. It's not happening, all right? Uh, but I do want to take, take kind of a, an odd angle uh, as, I, as I preach. I'm going to preach four messages. And so you can be thinking about these. I've been thinking about these for a while. This was kind of uh, my first thoughts, and uh, the Lord's kind of, kind of opened it up for me, and I think this is the way we'll go. We'll preach a series on Jesus Christ and the birth of Jesus Christ, and uh, we're going to take one from each of the Gospels. And uh, interestingly, right, because we understand as we look at the Gospels, you have Jesus Christ pictured 
from, from the author's perspective uh, as different aspects of his ministry. So, of course, you have him here in Matthew as the king of the Jews. And he's portrayed throughout the book as the king, to the king of the Jews. Mark, you get the picture of the servant. Here he comes. Uh, and in he comes as the servant. You get him in, in Luke, and he's the son of man. And then, of course, in John, you have the son of God. And that, that is replete. You watch that over and over again throughout those books. And, and you see the angle that the author is taking. So uh, we're going to preach on, first of all, right, first one tonight is Matthew. So uh, we're going to preach on the birth of a king. And the birth of the king shows up, and here he is, and he steps onto the scene, and Jesus Christ is born, and uh, we're going to look into some things about his lineage, we're going to look into some things, I'm going to teach a little bit, but we're going to get into some preaching here in the second half, uh, ultimately, uh, but the truth is, Jesus Christ has shown up, and the, these men show up, the wise men here, shortly after, probably, obviously, uh, from the account less than two years after the birth of Jesus Christ, the wise men arrive and they're here and they're going to show up and they ask a very important question as they get in front of Herod, where is he that is born king of the Jews? Uh, that, that's, his that's who he is. He is the king. You get to Revelation chapter 19 and he's king of kings and lord of lords. And he's going to come down and he's going to rule and he's going to reign for a thousand years and uh, of the... Uh, of his peace, there will be no end. I mean, it's just amazing and wonderful how great of a king he is, and he's going to rule with a rod of iron, and he's going to do all those things. But even as a baby, even the day that he was born into the world, the answer was, this is the king of the Jews. There is no mistaking it. The wise men knew it, and they showed up, and they honored him, and they tried to honor him exactly as that. Now, there's a different response from a whole bunch of other people, but these wise men show up, and their first question about him is, where is he that is born king of the Jews? Where is this man? And Herod has no idea. Herod's got no clue. He wasn't looking for the king. He's going, I am the king. What are you talking about? We'll get into that in a little bit. But these wise men were smart enough. They were learned enough. They were understanding enough. They show up and you know what they ask? Where is he? Where is he that is born king of the Jews? You realize Jesus Christ didn't need anything else. He had the birthright to be the king. And we'll look at that here in just a moment. Let's have a word of prayer. And we're going to look at the birth of a king tonight. Father, I thank you for the greatness of a holy God. And we thank you that we can come together and we can meet and we can... Father, open the pages of a Bible and be able to see and understand the truth of the Word of God. I pray you would help me to, Father, proclaim it the way that it ought to be proclaimed. I pray Jesus Christ would be honored tonight especially. Lord, I pray that uh, you would be high and lifted up. I pray, Lord, if someone here is without Jesus Christ as their Savior, they would call upon Him tonight to save them. And Father, I do pray you'd be with my, uh, be with my thoughts, be with my Lord, my words, help me, Father, just to say what needs to be said, and I pray that it would bring, uh, Lord, the right answers in the right moments, Father, so that you would be praised. Father, we love you, and we do pray you'd come back soon in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Look back just one chapter, Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. I'm not going to read all these names, all right? You, you, you won't have to endure that, okay? Uh, but notice, I'm going to pick out a few names, right? Uh, you have the lineage of Jesus Christ, right? This is the Matthew chapter 1 and verse 1, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, 
Now notice what he purposely puts. He puts two names on the list immediately. He's not doing the lineage yet, right? He's not, he's not lining them up and this is the father of this person and this is the son. And he, he just gives you two quick names right off the top. He says, you know what? This is uh, the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Those are the two important names on the list. You say, why, why, do you, why do you say that? Because very simply, if he's not the son of David, he's not in the kingly line. So he's got to be the son of David. And if he's not a son of Abraham, he's not the king of the Jews. That's the whole point. The point is, he goes back to Abraham, the start of the nation of Israel. And so here he is, and you can read down the list, and this person and this person. You can talk about the generations and the 14 and the 14 and the... You know, you could do all that. We could do all the numbers. I'm not doing that tonight, okay? If you got a question about that, you can ask Pastor Legault. He'll take care of it, all right? But uh, here you are, and uh, he started that years ago now, and I just get to pile it on. Um, and, uh, and so the truth is, you get these generations, and he sets it up. But all he's doing is letting you know, especially in this chapter right here, he is especially letting you know one thing. Jesus Christ's lineage is the lineage of the king. He has right to the throne of, the, of his father David. He has right to sit upon that throne and at birth he is in line to be the king. Regardless of what anybody else, he has got the pedigree to have the throne of the nation of Israel. And as he steps down into the world, the statement about him is where, who is, where is he that is born the king of the Jews? He steps in and it is going to be one right after the other. The lineup happens and it gets all the way down and there is David and then all the way through Solomon and so on down to Jesus Christ. It comes and here he is and nobody can question. You know who he is? He's the king. He is the king. His lineage proves it. And we could go through page after page and we can cross-reference and we can go back, but we don't have to. Right here, Matthew chapter 1, you know what you have? You have the lineage of Jesus Christ and here he is born into the world with the truth that he is the king. He is the king and here he is. That's his, leg that is li that's his lineage. That's where he comes from. But notice this, look back over at Matthew chapter 2. You not only have the king's lineage that shows up here in Matthew, you also have the king's sign that shows up. And he says here in verse number 2, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. They have seen something. They saw something that they were looking for. There is something that they were looking for and it was a star that they were waiting upon. And you say, well, that doesn't really make any sense. Well, look, hold your place right here. We're going to come back. Numbers chapter 24. Numbers chapter 24 is the prophecy of this particular instance and what the Lord is doing. Numbers chapter 24. And this, of course, is Balaam, the son of Beor, and he's uh, going ahead and making a prophecy against Balak. And he says in verse number 17, Numbers 24, 17, I shall see him, but not now. I shall behold him, but not nigh. There shall come a star out of Jacob. 
and a scepter. Well, who has a scepter? Well, that's the king, right? Here comes the king. And you say, what does he come with? He comes with a star. I see a star out of Jacob. A scepter shall rise out of Israel and shall smite the corners of Moab and destroy all the children of Sheth. And you can keep going on the prophecy. Uh, it's a reference to the king showing up. You say, what's he coming with? He's coming with a star. A star is there and it's, it's indicating. And notice, not only that, it's a supernatural star. You get back to Matthew chapter 2, just flip right back. And verse number 9, when they had heard the king, they departed and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them. It's moving. It's leading them. Went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. I don't know about you. Have you ever, have you ever looked up at the stars and been like, yeah, that's right over that house. No, that's not normal, right? The, the stars are out there. They are nowhere near where you can go, oh, that's directly over my house, right? That's, that's not how that works. You say, what is it? It's a picture to the angel of the Lord. He's the star that comes out of Jacob, but he's the angel of the Lord. He shows up and he goes ahead. He shows up to the shepherds to announce his own birth. He shows up over and over. There he is. And he keeps showing up and he waits. And you know what he's doing? He's leading the wise men to the place where they can come and meet the king that they seek. Isn't it wonderful God sets it up so that men can find him? He sets it up so that men can go ahead and find the king and come and worship him. He sets it up so that a lost man who has no idea where he is or where he's going, right? Jesus Christ's statement, he has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Herod is completely lost. He has no idea where the king is supposed to be. He has no idea the king's even shown up. That's the majority of the world. They have no idea that a king has arrived, that Jesus Christ has stepped on the scene. They have no idea a savior has come into the world and they forget about it and they don't think about it and they try to ignore it. And then you get to about this time of year and they're really glad about a baby in a manger because they don't have to worry about him as being a king. Because they don't even realize that even in the manger he is born the king of the Jews. They don't recognize that even though he's born as a little baby in a manger, that he is the savior of the world that has come to go ahead and save to the uttermost all them that will trust in him. They don't understand it. And so that light comes and you know what he's trying to do? He's trying to lead and guide. That Holy Spirit shows up and he tries to lead and guide us into all truth. He's trying to give you the light that you can see. He's trying to go ahead and remove the blindness that the devil has tried to put in and guide you through his marvelous light and bring you to the truth that the king has arrived. He's been doing that for over 2,000 years. To guide men to the truth that Jesus Christ is the Savior. It's supernatural how He shows. Isn't it amazing? You and I, if you're saved in here tonight, I'm assuming most, if not everybody in here is. The day that you got saved, the light bulbs come on. You understand some things that you had never understood before. And now, when you go to talk to a lost person, you're like, how do they not see that? I've explained that 30 different ways. How do you not get it? And they just don't get it. Say, why? Because they just can't see it. And the Christian, you know what our, our answer? We can't unsee it. <laughs> I, I don't know how to not see it. 
right? You go back into the Old Testament, you read through the Old Testament, you had places like Isaiah 53, Psalm 22, you know, all the big places, right? Isaiah chapter 9. You hit all those places, and as soon as you get to that place, you can't unsee Jesus. I mean, wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? How do you, you read through those paths and you go, that's Jesus. You read that to a lost man and he goes, I, I don't know what that means. <laughs> why? The light hasn't come on. Supernaturally, you have gained the light that God wanted you to have so that you could see the king. So you could see him. In a lost world, they just haven't gotten the lights turned on. <laughs> They're still blinded. And the sad truth is that men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. And they don't want to come to the light. These, th- these wise men, no matter how many there are, there's more than two, all right? Here they come and they come. You know what they're looking for? They're looking for the light. That's what they wanted. They're rejoicing because they see the light of a star and they can find the location of the king that they are searching for. You remember the day when you found out Jesus Christ was the Savior and that you just had to call upon Him and you could trust Him and He'd save you and He'd forgive you and He'd take care of all of it and the lights all came on and you're like, that's a day of rejoicing. And lost people, they, they're like, I don't understand you. And you're like, I don't understand you. <laughs> How do you not want this? And the lights come on and you know what you find? You find the illumination of a king. Waiting. What a wonderful Savior. And He wants to save. He's not the one who's trying to dim the lights. You realize that anybody could have seen the star? And maybe some other people did. But they didn't know what it meant and they didn't go anywhere near it. I don't think the wise men are the only ones that can see it. I just think the wise men are the only ones who are willing to try and understand it. It's strange. You get the Word of God and the light of God shining and uh, go ahead and getting some revelation. You know what you find? That some people are willing to receive that light and other people are not. They're willing to heed what the light has to say or they say, "Ah, I don't want it. (coughs) Excuse me. And they look at it and they, they decide, hey, you know what? I would rather not have him be a king over me. And that's their choice. But these wise men, you know what they understood? They understood that he was the king of the Jews. His lineage was right. He's the rightful king. But not only that, they also recognized his sign had shown up. And it was all pointing to exactly where they could find him. The scriptures, you know what it does? That Bible just points you right to where he is. Over and over again. And his statement about it is, to seek the Lord while he may be found. That's scary. There's a little scariness right there. So what does that mean? That means there will come a time when he can't be found. There's a time that it's too late and you won't have him. Because you've chosen not to. And life comes to an end and you don't have another option. You've made your choice. Isn't it wonderful that you were able to get to Jesus Christ? Uh, Not only that, but not only is it about his lineage, 
You have got the king's lineage. You've got the king's sign. I want to talk just for a moment about his guests. The king's guests, he's got these, these men that show up, these wise men. You know, it's strange they show up, and it's not the Jews that show up. Right? This isn't, these, aren't, these aren't the Jews going, hey, our king's arrived. No, no, these are the men. They've come. They've come from the east. Here they are, and they travel in, and they're looking for him. He's not even supposed to be their king. He's not supposed to be for them. But instead, they're looking for him. And they, they're waiting. You know, these guys most likely, they probably had Daniel chapter 9 in their hands. I hope you all know what Daniel chapter 9 is, right? The lineage, the, right, the setup of time. From the time when Artaxerxes sent out the command... And it's going to be seven weeks and then three score in two weeks. And so you get 69 weeks, which is so many days, which equals so many years, which equals, you know what they're doing? They're just timing it out. And if you know the timing of Artaxerxes and the command that he sends, you have the timeline of when Christ should arrive, when the Messiah, when the King of Israel should show up. You know what they're holding on to? They're holding on to a book that gives them the answer of when and where the King will be where they can meet him and what the indicators are of who he is. And uh, he's going there. You know what he's got? These men show up and you know what they're doing? They're just, they're just looking for him. They go, hey, it's got to be soon. Well, I'll stop there just for a moment. <laughs> Let all of you who missed that catch up. He's coming soon and thusly we should be looking for him. Where is he that is born king of the Jews? <laughs> you and I, we look around, you know what we're thinking right now? Where is he? He can come. Let's, let's get out of here. Let a trumpet sound and Jesus Christ show up and let him go ahead and call home his own so that we can go home and be with him. When will our king show up and go ahead and call us? Say, what's he coming with? He comes with clouds and he's going to show up and... We're going to go ahead and get caught up there with him. And they won't see him. Nobody else will see him, but you and I will. And face to face, we'll step up into glory and finally be with our Savior. You realize his guests right here are a bunch of Gentiles. They aren't the Jews. They're the Gentiles. What a wonderful picture. Oh, he's not, he's not supposed to be my king, but I'll willingly submit and worship him. And he'll be a king to me. How's that for a picture of salvation? <laughs> hey, I don't have to, you know, I just, all I did was come and worship because I know he's the king. Here they are, you know what they've done? They've decided, they've made a choice, they're going to try, they're looking for him. And if you want him, you'll find him. We heard it this morning, consecration, desiring to be with him, desiring to walk with him, desiring to fellowship with him, desiring to have that relationship. We heard it this morning. And here he is. And you know what these men? These men show up and you know what they are? They're desiring to find him so that they can meet him. <laughs> so they can spend time with the king because he's worthy of it. That's all they're looking for. They're looking for a king. You know, most people never look for him. 
Sadly, most Christians, they never look for them. They're always looking down here in the world. They're never looking up for their redemption draweth nigh. They just, they go, well, we'll, we'll, we got plenty of time. If only I could just accomplish what I want to accomplish. If only I could just do what I, I mean, I'd really like to get some things done. And the Lord's like, yeah, but I'm coming. I'm, I'm coming. And my reward is with me. What kind of reward is that? Oh, well, you know, the crown of righteousness for all those that love is appearing. Just looking for it, loving it, waiting for it. Just looking around going, it could be today. It could still be today. You know, he wants, he wants you to watch for him. These men were willing to watch for him. They were looking and they were waiting and when it showed up, they didn't wait any longer. You realize they, they have seen his star in the, and they started off, they go. They got it. They, got, they said, hey, there it is. And away they went. They packed and gone. <laughs> they were ready to go. I hope you're ready to go. I hope you're ready. I hope you're ready. If you're lost in here, you're certainly not ready. If you're saved in here, I hope you're ready. I hope you're ready to see him. He's a wonderful God, but he's an amazing king too. He's got it all under control. You've got the king's lineage. You've got the king's sign. You've got the king's guests. Bunch of Gentiles. Praise the Lord. And then you've got the king's gifts. Notice what they bring him. They bring him those three things. And many of you know all about this and probably won't be anything crazy or new, but you get to verse number 11. When they were coming to the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshiped him. When they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. So they give him these three gifts, and most of you know this, and, and probably be a good review for you though, but uh, they, get, they get, first of all, they give him gold. Well, that's an obvious picture to the kingship of Jesus Christ, that he is the king. It's royalty. It's a picture to royalty and, and greatness. Uh, it's a picture there, right? Uh, you get back to Daniel and that statue. And thou Nebuchadnezzar art that head of gold. He is the most powerful of the kings that would reign. He is there. He is the one. He is the head of the statue. He is gold. That's what he's pictured as. Uh, you get back to uh, 1 Kings chapter 10, you've got Solomon and his greatness and all the things, and he's covering everything in his palace with gold. The guy didn't even have silverware. He had goldware. Like, it was, silver wasn't good enough for the king. You had to have gold. Uh, he overlays, I mean, he's got, he's got an ivory throne. That's not good enough. Cover it with gold. Like, that's everything that he did. It was all gold, gold, and more gold. And if he could find it, uh, anything new to cover with gold, I think Solomon covered it with gold. I mean, he's putting up gold shields in the middle of the forest. Like, how much gold do you have that you're just like, you know what we could do? We could hang up some golden shields all around in the forest, just so everybody knows. What are those there for? It's not like you're grabbing a gold shield to defend yourself, right? I mean, gold is beautiful and expensive, but it is not very hard. <laughs> you, 
You are going to lose in a battle if your shield is made out of gold. All right, that's just how it is. So what's he doing? It's just opulence. It's just the greatness of who he is as a king. It shows off his wealth and his status. The fact that he was a king when peace would reign in the nation of Israel. And he's showing off the gold and the greatness of it. And he's just doing it as a big giant show that he is the king. And they bring him gold. Little side note. You know what is amazing? Where are Joseph and Mary and Jesus about to go? Egypt, right? They're about to flee and go to Egypt. Is Joseph a wealthy man? Well, not at all. I mean, right, if, if you go to Luke, right, they bring in and she has to bring in the price for uh, being clean after the birth of a son. And she doesn't bring a lamb. But what, what do they bring in so that they can be, well, they brought two turtle doves. And what is that? That's what the poor people had to bring. <laughs> they didn't have enough money to bring their own lamb. They had to bring turtle doves. Jesus wasn't born into wealth and greatness that way, right? He's born in a stable. We cover all that stuff, right? And we understand that. But you realize he's about to make a huge journey. The wise men show up, and they're about to fulfill a prophecy of Jesus Christ that he's got to go down into Egypt, and God's going to call him back out and bring him back in. And the wise men show up, and they go, oh, here, have some gold, Say, what will that do? That'll pay for a trip down into Egypt and take care of us and meet our needs while we're there so that God can protect us until we come back. How about that? Isn't that wonderful? And so here they are. You know what he is? He's the king, so they bring him gold. But not only that, he is also the, the priest. They bring him frankincense. They bring him the frankincense. This is an oddity. A king who is also a priest. You get to Exodus, we won't turn to all these places. We could run all over the place for this stuff. Uh, but Exodus chapter 30, they get the incense that they're supposed to burn. The priests burn as the prayers of the saints. It's likened to that, the incense that they burned and Aaron and, and the priesthood burned. And in there is the frankincense that they're supposed to burn. And they burn that, and it's supposed to go ahead, and you get into the New Testament, right? In Revelation, he goes ahead in uh, Revelation chapter 8. Uh, you, get, you get the uh, incense that comes up, and it's the prayers of the saints. Well, in the Old Testament, the offering to, the, to God from the mankind came through the priesthood. Now, you and I, right, we're, we're special in the New Testament, as in you and I are a royal priesthood, a chosen generation. Uh, we're, we're different. You and I have direct access to God. The Old Testament, they didn't have that. They had the priests, and the priests would go in, and the high priest ultimately would go in to bring in the great sacrifice and to go ahead and deal with the uh, area where he would lay the blood upon the mercy seat and so on and do all these things. But you and I, we wouldn't have been able to go in there. And so we needed a priest. The Old Testament, they needed the priest to go ahead and get their prayers to God. Well, Jesus Christ is that high priest. He's the one who steps in. He's the one who ultimately goes ahead and takes that over. You realize that there are very few kings who can offer up sacrifices or offer up anything as a priest. You know, Saul, the first king of the nation of Israel, he tried to do that, and he got in serious trouble because he's not a priest. 
But David shows up. And when David shows up, he gets to eat the table of showbread with his men. He gets to do something that Saul was not allowed to do. Why? Because God was allowing him to fulfill a couple offices. Here's a picture out to Jesus Christ. You get that over and over again, certain exceptions that show up. But very rarely was one person a king as well as a priest. And Jesus Christ is not just the king, he is also the priest. He is our great high priest and he offers up the one sacrifice once for all to save sinners forever. Not only that, I want to keep moving. I want to get to the end here. The end is the fun part for me. Uh, and then they bring in myrrh. Gold and frankincense and myrrh. Myrrh is uh, used throughout. I mean, you go over to Mark chapter 16, John chapter 12, John 19. You go to all sorts of places. You find myrrh. You look it up. Uh, and it's often attached with death. It's part of the embalming of the nation of Israel and how they wrapped them in the spices and things and myrrhs and aloes. And they did that as, a, as an embalming, as a burial. You realize that they're looking out and you realize to Jesus Christ that ultimately he has been prophesied to come to give his life a ransom for many. It's all about him being the prophet and fulfilling all the prophecies that were about him. It shows off that he is the one that is going to come. It shows off that he is the one who is going to give his life. It shows off that he is the one who would be the prophet and proclaim. You realize that he's a greater prophet than any of the others before him. He proclaims that to the nation of Israel. Greater than Moses. Greater than Elijah. Greater than, he's greater. He's a greater prophet. He came to fulfill all the law and the prophets. That was his goal. And he shows up as a prophet to go ahead and proclaim what he was going to do. And he proclaims even to his own disciples that he would give his life to pay the debt of all of our sins. He proclaims it over and over and over again. And that's why they bring the gifts. These gifts are particular. And they're special. And they're all done because he is the king. And they came to worship the king. And now, there's the responses to the king. We find out very quickly in verse number 12 that the wise men are warned of God and they depart and not go back to Herod. Joseph is warned that he needs to get Mary and Jesus and flee. Why? Because Herod, end of verse 13, Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. And so we know what happens if you read the rest of the chapter. He goes ahead and all of the young children, all the men, children, two years and under are, are slaughtered throughout the nation of Israel. So that he can go ahead and kill Jesus. That's what his goal was. His goal was to eliminate the king. You know, most people in their lives, they try to eliminate Jesus Christ at all costs. I don't want to hear him. I don't want to hear about him. That's the lost man, right? I don't want to hear about that. I don't want to hear about that. I don't want to hear. Why? Because men love darkness rather than light. 
because the light shows up and it reproves them of the darkness of their life. They reject him and they try to eliminate him from their life. They try to eliminate all costs to be able to hear that name. Why do you got to pray in that name? Why do you got to talk about Jesus? Why got to have all that? Because they don't want to hear it. You say, what are they trying to do? They're trying to be just like Herod and just kill it. If I can just kill it, I don't have to worry about it. Nobody's been able to do it. They haven't been able to keep him down. Oh, they, they got him for a couple of days, but he let him. It's only because he let him. I'll get to that in a minute. Oh, I'm trying not to get ahead of myself. I'm so excited. I just, I like, I like the end of this. Yeah, thinking about the people throughout Jesus Christ's ministry. You can, you can go a whole bunch of different ways. And I mean, we could do this for a long time, but I won't, I promise. All right, but Herod... His reply is, can I kill him? Can I eliminate him? Because I don't want him to be king. So I'll destroy him. I'll eliminate him. You get to Matthew chapter 27, you get toward the end of Jesus Christ's life and ministry here on the earth. And you know what you have? You have Pilate there in front of him. And he hears all this talk, right, about Jesus. He made himself a king. He's declared himself to be a king. And Pilate walks into Jesus, and in Matthew chapter 27, he asks that question, right? Are you a king? <laughs> Art thou a king? And Jesus just says, thou sayest it. <laughs> he just says, you said so. Here I am. Oof. Ah. <laughs> uh, you know what Pilate had to decide? You know what he was? He was just questioning the king. You know what people do all the time? They question him. Are you sure? Christians go about their entire lives. Are you sure I should listen to you? Do, why do I have to submit to you? Now they don't say that out loud, right? We are much more sophisticated and slick than that we would never be like why should I listen to God right we would never do that but instead you know what we do we go why do I have to do it God's way what do you mean I have to follow what the Bible said what do you mean the answers are all in there what do you mean I need to submit to him what do you mean what are you a king really that's the way most people live that's the way most Christians think. Now, they would never say that out loud. They would never, but that's the way they act. They get the counsel from the Bible and they hear it and they hear the preaching of the Word of God or they ask somebody a question and they open a Bible and they answer out of the Bible and they show them the truth and they get good godly counsel and then they say, no. <laughs> Who do you think you are? And the answer is, he's the king. <laughs> that's who he thinks he is. And not only does he think it, he knows it. And only does he know it, he proves it. And that's why when you look at him, nobody can say, what doest thou? <laughs> because he's the king. And you and I are allowed the graciousness of God and the mercy of God when we look up at him and say, who do you think you are? And he looks back down and he's just nice and kind. And he doesn't squash you like a little bug, right? for defying him. And instead he waits around just like he did for Job. Who is he that darkeneth with counsels without knowledge? 
and looks down at Job and says, Job, who do you think you are? Questioning what I do. Well, he's the king. Pilate questions him. You know what the soldiers do in Matthew chapter 27? They mock him. They bow a knee, right? They plate the crown. They pound those uh, thorns down on his skull. They throw a purple robe over him. They go ahead and bow, and they make, Hail, King of the Jews. They make a mockery of him. That's the world's religions. What do you mean by that? You realize that the world's religions don't have the same Jesus that you have? It is not the same. Uh, we don't worship the same Jesus. They have a Jesus that's not Jesus. They have, they have this guy who they want to reference as Jesus, but the truth is he is not the same one that you and I worship. He's not, he doesn't have the same attributes. He doesn't save them to the uttermost. He does not give them eternal security. He does not forgive of their sins. He does not, instead, they base it all upon their works. They base it all upon their religion. They base it all upon this or that. And they don't have Jesus Christ like you have Jesus Christ. He is not, and they make a mockery of who he is. The world's religions make a mockery of Jesus Christ. Oh, the world itself tries to, the devil tries to, all these things, but truly religion goes ahead and they make Jesus into whatever it is they want him to be so that you will go ahead and do whatever it is you want to do. But he's not really the king, he's the figurehead. He's just the thing there and he goes ahead and he's just a statue just like any other worshipped image that they go ahead and create and they put him there and they say, okay, this is our Jesus. But Christians, you know what you do? You do the same. You have a concept of Jesus that's outside of what the Bible says about Jesus sometimes. You ever find yourself thinking Jesus is something that you know that he's really not? I mean, how can Jonah get that upset with God for being merciful and gracious? I knew you were going to... Yeah, it's just so weird. The Christian looks at him and they, you know what they do? They do these things. Well, Jesus, you have to answer my prayer because I asked you. You have to do it my way. We make Jesus into a genie that if we rub the lamp and he comes out, he has to grant whatever it is we say. That's not Jesus. Right? That's a different Jesus, isn't it? But in our mind, well, he has to do these things. We force God, well, God, if, if I do all these good things, you must. Then that's a different Jesus. His statement about it is, I'll have mercy on whom I'll have mercy, and I'll have compassion on whom I'll have compassion. You aren't going to make God do anything. The Apostle Paul wasn't making God do anything. My grace is sufficient for thee. That's what you get. I'm not taking the thorn. You're stuck with it. I need that in your life. Paul didn't get his prayer answered, not the way he wanted it. I besought the Lord thrice that he would take it from me. The Lord said, no, I'm not taking it. You're not going to force God. But oftentimes we think, well, if God doesn't do it my way, I'm going to get mad at him. Well, if Jesus doesn't answer the way I want him to answer, I've got to get mad at him. Well, no, that's not how it works. He's the king. And he's going to do things the way he needs to do them. And you need to be able to trust that he's got it all under control. But too many times we're like the nation of Israel. 
And we decide that although Jesus is supposed to be our king, we cry with the rest of the crowd in John chapter 19 and verse number 15, we have no king but Caesar. We choose we're going to have a different king. That's scary. That's a tough spot. When you think, I don't want him as my king, so I'm going to go ahead and choose something else. You know, people have a lot of things they fill in Jesus Christ with something else. They reject him as being their king. The nation of Israel did that in the Old Testament, and they got Saul. What a winner that was. Good plan on their part. They reject him. They reject Jesus Christ and choose Caesar. That was a great plan. They reject the Holy Ghost and they're stuck under Roman Empire. Acts chapter 7. They're stuck under the condemnation with the devil. The nation of Israel, when they choose to reject God, they have chosen very greatly in the wrong direction. They're moving the wrong way. Christian, you want to decide you want to reject Jesus as your king. You want to go ahead and do things your way. You want to go ahead and instead of recognizing that he is the king and that he is the one you're supposed to worship and he's the one who gets all the adoration, he's the one who gets all the praise, he's the one who deserves all those things, you know what you'll be? You'll be in a mess if you reject him. The nation of Israel is now in a place where blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. God has had to set them aside because they refused to acknowledge Him as the King. How many people have you seen that God has had to set aside? It made Him sit there. And they've gone through things. And they've gone through more things. And they stay far away from God because they refuse to recognize He is the King and return and come back to Him. They refuse to yield. They're so proud and they're so arrogant and they think, I've got it all under control and I'll be fine and I can handle. And how many Christians do you see that have gone the wrong direction because they have decided that Jesus is no longer supposed to be the king? I'm king. I'm going to do it my way. I want what I want. I'm going to have success the way that I want success. And this is how it's going to be. And they walk out and God has to just set them aside. And they walk around just like the rest of the lost world completely oblivious to what God is trying to do for them. We've seen it over and over and over and over. What's the problem? There's always a king. There's always a king. And by the way, it's not you. I'm going to run my own life. I accept the devil is king over all the children of pride. That's a proud statement. I'm going to run my own life. Okay, there you go. You just showed me who your king is. And it's not Jesus and it's not you, it's the devil. And you're going to go his direction. You're going to walk his way. You're going to follow along with whatever he's got going on. And you'll be in ruin just like he is. Matthew 2. I'm almost done. Right here. This is it. The right response to finding out a king has arrived, to recognizing that he's the king, is exactly what the wise men do. Verse number two, 
Where is he that is born King of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. There it is. There it is. They show up, and as soon as they show up, I, you got to wonder what Mary's thinking. You know, Mary and Joseph, these, these guys show up. No idea who they are. They knock on the door. They open the door. In they walk. They come into the house, verse number 11, right? They saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. These men do not care who's around. It doesn't matter to them if anybody else understands why they're there. It doesn't make any difference to them if anybody else realizes what they've realized. It makes no difference to them whether or not they are, you know, going to look good to everybody else. All they do is recognize, I'm in the presence of the king. I will bow down. And what does that do? Shows submission to him. It's the honor of he is the king, so I'll bow before him. Well, that's not Herod's answer, and that's not Pilate's answer, and that's not the soldier's answer, and that's not Israel's answer. But it is the wise men's answer. Let me bow down and worship him. When's the last time you fell down before God and recognized who he is? Y'all do that on a regular basis right there. Just remember, hey, you know, sometimes we get a little sideways. You know what I mean, right? We get a little, I got it all under control type things, you know, and I, or I've got this, and, you know, or we just don't like what he's doing, or we don't like how things are going. We get a little sideways, you know. We don't quite, you know, we're not turning away. We're not running off. But we get just a little, eh, and we forget. We forget that we're supposed to be the one who's worshiping him. We forget that we're supposed to be in submission to what he wants. We forget that he's the king. You know, the wonderment about being saved is that he is our father. That he's a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. That he walks with us. That he wants the closeness of the relationship. That he wants to stay close. And he wants us to be friends. And he wants us... You know, we've got this odd relationship with God that nobody else really gets. But that doesn't negate that he is still the king. We oftentimes get comfortable around people and we fail. We fail to give them honor, respect, all those things. And in doing so, we do them a disservice because familiarity. And we ought to be close to God. That ought to be our closest relationship, is to be close to God. We ought to strive to have the fellowship that Brother Malucci was talking about this morning and have our heart fixed on him and have us going after him and having that walk. But you know what we find? We find that sometimes, I don't know about you, maybe it's just me, I don't know, but sometimes I can casually come before a throne of grace. Sometimes I don't bring him the reverence that he deserves. He's the king. Yeah, he's my father. And yeah, he is. But you know what he is? He's the king. And some days, you and I, I think we would struggle to say that he is the king because we don't live like he's the king. We didn't bring any worship. We didn't bring any gifts. 
Say, what's a gift? My son, give me thine heart and let thine eyes observe my ways. Well, you know what you could give him? You. That'd be a good gift worthy of a king. Me. Take me. Take me. That'd be a good form of worship. That'd be a good idea to come and bring him something and worship him. And not only do they worship him, they listen. Verse number 12, they were warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod. And they depart another way. They worship him, they give him gifts, and they listen to what God has to tell them. That's a pretty good way to accept Jesus as the king. You realize Herod doesn't want anything to do with him. Pilate, he just questions him all the time. Never quite gets it. I mean, I know he plates that sign and he puts it up there and he inscribes the thing and Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews, you know, and he gets it up there. But doesn't quite get it. Always left with that question. Whence comest thou? And he's always asking the questions. Doesn't quite get it. The soldiers, they just, they're just doing their job, but they're making fun of him and mocking him. Israel just rejects him. But these wise men, they recognize the king of the Jews has arrived. And they've come to worship. I hope when you think of Jesus, you come to worship. I hope every day, you know what you have? A time to worship. I hope the decisions you make in your life are done because you're worshiping Him. I hope the things that you do day in and day out would give Him worship because it would honor what He has to say. It would honor His commands. That's worship. He's a king and He's worthy of it. Let's go ahead and stand tonight. I, I have no idea if anybody here is lost or not. If you're not saved, Jesus Christ wants to save you. He wants to save you to the uttermost. And He's the only one who can. And He's given you light so that you can see that Jesus Christ is the Savior. And if you need more light, we'll gladly open a Bible and show you out of the Bible how you can know. Christian, maybe you're in here tonight and say, I hadn't been living like Jesus is my King. I hadn't been worshiping the way I ought to worship. Maybe I have been kind of getting a little sideways with the king and I ought, to, I ought to turn and repent and fix that and submit again. Jesus Christ is born king of the Jews. But tonight if you're saved, he wants to be your king. And it's your choice who you worship. It's your choice who you submit to and it's your choice whether he's your king. He can be your savior and not be your king because you won't treat him that way. I hope he's your king tonight. Father, I do pray you would bless the invitation now, working hearts. Lord, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.